Chapter 41 of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christy Carpenter. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter 41. In the best room that could be allotted to him consistently with safe imprisonment, and with such comforts around as many might obtain, Faulkner passed the lingering days. What so forlorn as the comforts of a prison? The wigwam of the Indian is more pleasing to the imagination, that is in close contiguity with nature and partakes her charm. No barrier exists between it and freedom and nature and freedom are the staunch friends of unsophisticated man. But a jail's best room sickens the heart in its very show of accommodation. The strongly barred windows, looking out on the narrow court, surrounded by high frowning walls, the appalling sounds that reach the ear in such close neighborhood to crime and woe, the squalid appearance given to each inhabitant by the confined air, the surly, authoritative manners of the attendants, not dependent on the prisoner, but on the state, the knowledge that all may come in while he cannot get out, and the conviction that the very unshackled state of his limbs depends upon his tame submission and apparent apathy. There is no one circumstance that does not wound the free spirit of man and make him envy the meanest animal that breathes the free air and is at liberty. Faulkner, by that strange law of our nature, which makes us conceive the future without being aware of our foreknowledge, had acquainted his imagination with these things. And while writing his history amid the far-stretched mountains of Greece, had shrunk and trembled before such an aspect of slavery. And yet now that it had fallen on him, he felt in the first instance more satisfied, more truly free than for many a long day before. There is no tyranny so hard as fear, no prison so abhorrent as apprehension. Faulkner was not a coward, yet he feared. He feared discovery, he feared ignominy, and had eagerly sought death to free him from the terror of such evils, with which, perhaps, so strangely are we formed, Osborne had infected him. It had come, it was here, it was his life, his daily bread, and he rose above the infliction calmly and almost proudly. It is with pride that we say that we endure the worst. There is a very freedom in the thought, that the animosity of all mankind is roused against us, and every engine set at work for our injury. No more can be done. The gulf is past. The claw of the wild beast is on our heart, but the spirit soars more freely still. To this was added the singular relief which confession brings to the human heart. Guilt hidden in the recesses of the conscience assumes gigantic and distorted dimensions. When the secret is shared by another, it falls back at once into its natural proportion. 
Much had this man of woe endured. The feeling against him throughout the part of the country where he now was, was vehement. The discovery of poor Alethea's remains, the inquest and its verdict, the unhappy lady's funeral, had spread far and wide his accusation. It had been found necessary to take him into Carlisle by night, and even then, some few remained in waiting and roused their fellows, and the hootings of execration were raised against him. I end as I began, thought Faulkner, amid revilings and injustice. I can surely suffer now that which was so often my lot in the first dawn of boyhood. His examination before the magistrates was a more painful proceeding. There was no glaring injustice, no vindictive hatred here, and yet he was accused of the foulest crime in nature, and saw in many faces the belief that he was a murderer. The murderer of Alethea! He could have laughed in scorn to think that such an idea had entered a man's mind. She, an angel whom he worshipped, whom to save he would have met ten thousand deaths. How mad a world, how insane a system must it be, where such a thought was not scouted as soon as conceived. Faulkner had no vulgar mind. In early youth, he experienced those aspirations after excellence, which betoken the finely molded among our fellow creatures. There was a type of virtue engraved in his heart, after which he desired to model himself. Since the hour when the consequences of his guilt revealed its true form to him, he had striven, like an eagle in an iron-bound cage, to free himself from the trammels of conscience. He felt within how much better he might be than anything he was. But all this was unacknowledged and uncared for in the present scene. It was not the heroism of his soul that was inquired into, but the facts of his whereabouts. Not the sacred nature of his worship for Alethea, but whether he had had opportunity to perpetrate crime. When we are conscious of innocence, what's so heart-sickening as to combat circumstances that accuse us of guilt which we abhor? His prison room was a welcome refuge after such an ordeal. His spirit could not be cowed by misfortune, and he felt unnaturally glad to be where he was. He felt glad to be the victim of injustice, the mark of unspeakable adversity, but his body's strength failed to keep pace with the lofty disdain of his soul. And Elizabeth, where was she? He rejoiced that she was absent when torn from his home. He had directed the servants to say nothing to Miss Faulkner. He would write. And he had meant to fulfill this promise, but each time he thought to do so, he shrunk repugnant. He would not for worlds call her to his side to share the horrors of his lot, and feeling sure that she would be visited by some member of her father's family, he thought it best to let things take their course. Unprotected and alone, she would gladly accept refuge there where it was offered, and the tie snapped between them, happiness and love would alike smile on her. He had it deeply at heart, that she should not be mingled in the frightful details of his present situation. And yet drearily he missed her, for he loved her with a feeling which, though not paternal, 
was as warm as ever filled a father's breast. His passions were ardent, and all that could be spared from remorse were centered in his adopted child. He had looked on her, as the prophet might on the angel who ministered to his wants in the desert, in the abandonment of all mankind, in the desolation to which his crime had led him, she had brought love and cheer. She had been his sweet household companion, his familiar friend, his patient nurse. His soul had grown to her image, and when the place was vacant that she had filled, he was excited by eager longings for her presence that even made his man's heart soft as a woman's with very desire. By degrees, as he thought of her and the past, the heroism of his soul was undermined and weakened. To every eye he continued composed and even cheerful as before. None could read in his impassive countenance the misery that dwelt within. He spent his time in reading and writing, and in necessary communications with the lawyers who were to conduct his defense. And all this was done with a calm eye and unmoved voice. No token of complaint or impatience ever escaped. He seemed equal to the fortune that attacked him. He grew, indeed, paler and thinner, till his handsome features stood out in their own expressive beauty. He might have served for a model of Prometheus, the vulture at his heart producing pangs and spasms of physical suffering, but his will unconquered, his mind refusing to acknowledge the bondage to which his body was the prey. It was an unnatural combat, for the tenderness which was blended with his fiercer passions and made the charm of his character sided with his enemies and made him less able to bear than one more roughly and heartily framed. He loved nature. He had spent his life among her scenes. Nothing of her visited him now, save a star or two that rose above the prison wall into the slip of sky his window commanded. They were the faintest stars in heaven and often were shrouded by clouds and mist. Thus doubly imprisoned, his body barred by physical impediments, his soul shut up in itself, he became, in the energetic language of genius, the cannibal of his own heart. Without event for any, thoughts revolved in his brain with the velocity and action of a thousand mill wheels and would not be stopped. Now a spasm of painful emotion covered his brow with a cold dew. Now self-contempt made every portion of himself detestable in his own eyes. Now he felt the curse of God upon him, weighing him down with heavy, relentless burden. And then again he was assailed by images of freedom and keen longings for the free air. If even, like Mazeppa, I might seek the wilds and career along, though death was the born in view, I were happy. These wild thoughts crossed him, exaggerated into gasping desire to achieve such a fate when the sights and sounds of a prison gathered thick around and made the very thought of his fellow creatures one of disgust and abhorrence. Thus sunk in gloom, far deeper internally than in outward show, warring with remorse and the sense of unmerited injury, vanquished by fate, yet refusing to yield, 
nature had reached the acme of suffering. He grew to be careless of the result of his trial and to neglect the means of safety. He pondered on self-destruction, though that were giving the victory to his enemies. He looked round him. His cell appeared a tomb. He felt as if he had passed out of life into death. Strange thoughts and images flitted through his mind, and the mortal struggle drew to a close. When, on a day, his prison door opened, and Elizabeth stepped within the threshold. To see the beloved being we long for inexpressibly, and believe to be so far, to hear the dear voice, whose sweet accent we imagine to be mute to us forever, to feel the creature's very soul in real communion with us, and the person we dote on visible to our eyes, such are moments of bliss, which the very imperfections of our finite nature render immeasurably dear. Faulkner saw his child and felt no longer imprisoned. She was freedom and security. Looking on her sweet face, he could not believe in the existence of evil. Wrongs and woe and a torturing conscience melted and fled away before her, while fresh springing happiness filled every portion of his being. End of chapter 41